Lamentations chapter five. Lord, remember what has happened to us. See how we have been disgraced. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We are orphaned and fatherless. Our mothers are widowed and we have to pay for water to drink. And even firewood is expensive. Those who pursue us are at our heels and we are exhausted but are given no rest. We submit it to Egypt and Assyria to get enough food to survive. Our ancestors sinned, but they have died and we are suffering the punishment they deserved. Slaves have now become our masters. There is no one left to rescue us. We hunt for food at the risk of our lives for violence rules the countryside. The famine has blackened our skin as though baked in an oven. Our enemies rape the women in Jerusalem and the young girls in all the towns of Judah. Our princes are being hanged by the thumbs and our elders are treated with contempt. Young men are led away to work at millstones and boys stagger under heavy loads of wood. The elders no longer sit in the city gates. The young men no longer dance and sing. Joy has left our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The garlands have fallen from our heads. Weep for us because we have sinned. Our hearts are sick and weary and our eyes grow dim with tears for Jerusalem is empty and desolate, a place haunted by jackals. But Lord, you remain the same forever. Your throne continues from generation to generation. Why do you continue to forget us? Why have you abandoned us for so long? Restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys we once had. Or have you utterly rejected us? Are you angry with us still? Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning asking that you would help us enter into the story of Lamentations one last time. We thank you for the invitation to come and meet with you. We thank you that you are a God who longs to meet with us. And so I pray that as we meet you this morning, we would acknowledge that you're already here, you're already moving, you're already at work. We welcome you to speak to us. I pray that if there's anything that we've brought with us into this place that might keep us from receiving what it is you have for us, that we would humbly yet courageously set that before you and invite you to speak into our lives. Again, Lord, open up our hearts to receive what it is you have for us. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. May we meet you in the, the challenging space of lament, the unfamiliar, uncomfortable place of lament today. And God, I pray that you would give me your words to speak. I pray that I wouldn't say anything that's not for you or from you, God, that, that our time together here would make much of you, that we would lift up your son, Jesus, that we would fall more in love. We would surrender our lives fully to what you have for us, God. Would you be glorified in our time together this morning? We love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. 
Well, hey, Journey, my name's Chris, and I am very thankful to be with all of you today. We, we have made it to the final installment in our series that we've been calling The Taste of Ashes, Learning the Art of Lament. We have reached the end of the book of Lamentations. We've been moving our way through the Old Testament book of Lamentations, and all of this has gone alongside the season of Lent. Uh, the, the church calendar, the world over, they, they follow the season of Lent in which we find ourselves here on the final Sunday of Lent. It's, it's where we've intentionally been led by the Spirit to follow Jesus into the wilderness, to come face to face with our own sin, to, to repent and to turn to God afresh. And so that's what's been happening in our lives over the last seven weeks. We've been engaging the book of Lamentations, intentionally focusing on joining Jesus in his suffering. And then here we are on this Sunday today, which is known as Palm Sunday, as Ben mentioned. And this Sunday is the Sunday in which Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem, triumphantly celebrated as the coming king in the name of the Lord, people shouting, Hosanna. Jesus was on the back of this donkey riding in to the city and the crowd was spreading out garments and palm branches on the road ahead of him shouting, here comes our king. But a few days later, the crowds that participated in welcoming Jesus into the city participated in crucifying him as well. How quickly our allegiances can shift. And relevant to our learning of the art of lament is how Jesus responded when the city of Jerusalem came into view. So you have to imagine our savior Jesus sitting on the back of a donkey coming in to the city of Jerusalem. And it says, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. He said, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Jesus weeping on Palm Sunday over the city and over the people that he loves. So let us not forget that our Jesus weeps and so we weep with him as we follow him into the city of Jerusalem. And then as we follow him to the suffering of the cross, we are getting closer to that place. The hope that is on the horizon is getting closer. New life is on the horizon and it's getting closer. But as we know where there's no death, there can be no resurrection. And so we follow Jesus as he's led by the spirit into the city of Jerusalem and ultimately to the cross to be crucified as the backwards king, the king that nobody expected, the king who defeats death by suffering, who defeats death by love. As Walter Brueggemann writes about Jesus weeping over the city, he says, Jesus knew what we numb ones must always learn again, that weeping must be real because endings are real, and that weeping permits newness. He says, the weeping of Jesus permits the kingdom to come. Such weeping is a radical criticism, a fearful dismantling because it means the end of all machismo. Weeping is something kings rarely do without losing their thrones. 
Yet the loss of thrones is precisely what is called for in radical criticism. Jesus comes humbly as a servant and he comes to the throne by way of self-sacrificing love. It's also backwards and it's also upside down. And so as the season of joining Jesus in his suffering comes to an end, the season of Lent, we find that the book of Lamentations is coming to an end as well. We have finally made it to the end of Lamentations. And if you've journeyed with us through this season, and if you're anything like me, you're like, praise God. Praise God, give us some hope, give us some celebration. Which I think is so interesting that that wells up in all of us because that's exactly why we've made our way through the book of Lamentations through the season of Lent so that we don't rush past what the suffering might have for us. A couple weeks ago, you might remember, if you were here, we brought our laments forward as we received communion together and we filled these glass containers with our laments that we had written to God. Well, on that Sunday, right after our gatherings were over, I left to go to Phoenix to be with my wife, and I didn't have a chance to look at those. And so I came into town on Friday, and my plan was Saturday morning, I would get up first thing, and I would come to the office, and I would read through these laments. I would, I would join us in lifting these laments to the Lord. Well, I did... I didn't know really what I was biting off in that plan. And so I went into my office and I have this box now in my office that's just packed with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laments that we as a church family from our three gatherings had all written out. And I, and I started to read them. And I quickly was overwhelmed by the depth of the things that we are experiencing or have experienced because of the way in which uh, I kind of guided us in writing those laments, they begin with crying out to God, with what it is we're lamenting, what it is we're suffering or those around us are suffering, the pain or the grief or the sorrow we've been sitting with. And every time I got to that, my stomach just again turned in, in knots because so often we come to a place like this and we sit in these rows and we look up at the stage and we forget all of the other people down the rows and all that it is that they bring with them into this place. The, the, the pain and the suffering that we've shared, but also the opportunity to bring forth prayers for one another and to God and to say, God, we trust you, we need you, you love us, we believe in you because that's how every single lament ended. That was like the last part of what we were writing is that even though all of this was happening in our lives. We were writing, people literally were writing down, yet I still believe in you, God. I still trust you. I still love you. Thank you for loving me. And so in one moment, I'm a wreck, and the next moment, I'm encouraged. Then I'm a wreck, and then I'm encouraged. And I just, I just wanted, I didn't even know really how to explain what that experience was, but I want you to know that it exists. And in almost everybody in here, I bet, wrote one of those down. And so just don't forget that we come into this place together on Sundays carrying those things with us and we need each other. We need each other to process those things. If you remember, the book of Lamentations is made up of five chapters. And each chapter of the book of Lamentations is a separate poem. 
The poems in in chapters one through four, the first four chapters, they follow the form of an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. So each line of the poem is a letter from the Hebrew alphabet and it just makes its way through the alphabet, right? It's as if the poet of Lamentations is telling us that there is some sense of order in all of the chaos. Because if you'll remember, the chaos that ensues is the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC at the hands of their enemies. Their holy city is laid completely bare. There is no more food, there is no more water, there is no more homes, people are dying, and there is no temple, there is no holy place that represents the presence of God. And so it's as if the poet is saying, in the midst of all of that chaos, here's a little bit of order in the poem. A small semblance in the midst of destruction. And so it is that in this sacred destruction, we find an element of order. However, the fifth chapter of Lamentations, the end of the book of Lamentations, has no acrostic order to it. It does not follow the same pattern. It has all of the Hebrew letters represented, but they're all jumbled together. So as the poet of Lamentations is finishing his work, this final poem actually is all jumbled. And it seems as if now he's communicating. When we suffer in life, what we do is we seek to find an answer or a pattern or some order But the answer is sometimes that there is no order. The brokenness is necessary and it's timely. But as we find in the fifth chapter of Lamentations, it's not the end. So the final poem of Lamentations begins like this. The first thing that the poet writes is this. 5.1, he says, Lord, remember what has happened to us. Remember what has happened to us and address to the Lord to remember what has happened. The people of God are calling on the Lord to remember what it is they have been through, right? They're looking around them and they're saying, God, don't forget this. All of this destruction, don't forget all of this suffering, all of this pain. Remember what we've been through because when you remember God, they're saying there's some possibility then of hope on the other side. And that makes sense to me because as we've gotten to chapter five of Lamentations, I'm like, yes, please, I need some hope. I didn't really even want to preach Lamentations five. I just wanted to fast forward to Easter. But that's the point, right? Is that we're always trying to fast forward through it. And so this reminds us that there's a process, but there's hope on the horizon. And so we say, Lord, remember what has happened. Because Lamentations 5 is constructed like a psalm of lament. So there was a specific structure to a psalm of lament. It would begin with an address. And that is the address, Lord, remember what has happened to us. And then the next section would be a complaint. And there's two, verses 2 through 18 are the complaint. There's 22 verses, 2 through 18 are the complaint. And then they turn a corner in verse 19 to a proclamation of trust of praise. And then the last three verses finish with this address that that God would deliver them. 
And so then it would seem that Lamentations 5, this psalm of lament, is actually a prayer to God that envisions a potential of renewal and restoration. They believe it's going to happen. It might just happen to them. Because the worship life of Israel took the role of lament seriously. Up to that point for sure, and then from that point up to present day, the Jewish people take lament seriously. Their liturgy, their form of worship has space for lament. However, we tend to ignore this expression of prayer and worship in our American churches. And in doing that, which is why we're doing this whole series, what we do is we tend to miss the opportunity to speak to God out of the depths of our suffering. Instead, what we've done is we've have a tendency to build a little box around our pain or our suffering and keep it on the side. We'll deal with it some other time. Eventually, certainly God doesn't want this. And we just stack all these boxes of our pain and sorrow and grief and suffering around us. And we never bring it to God as an act of prayer in worship. Because what we've discussed throughout this series is that lament offers a mutual dynamic to the covenant relationship we have with him. What that means is that God has a covenant relationship with his people. He is utterly committed to them through everything. He will uphold his end of the covenant. He will remain faithful. And so Lamentations is a book of the Bible offers the example then that the lesser party in the covenant, that would be the people, are actually talking back to the greater party in the covenant, that is God, through lament. Lament is the avenue, lament is the dialogue that exists to allow us to speak to God in a committed covenant relationship. He's not going anywhere. So we remember that lament as this form of dialogue challenges any notion of an abstract relationship with God. These people whose lives have been utterly destroyed don't have any notion of an abstract God, a God who's just out there somewhere doing his thing. Maybe he's looking in, maybe not. What they know is that God is in the tussle with them. And so the movement of lamentations is towards those who suffer speaking for themselves. Often the voices of the suffering are silenced. We know this very well, just even in our present day culture. And yet lamentations gives those voices priority. The voices of the suffering are heard throughout the book of lamentations. Because strangely absent from the book of lamentations is the voice of God. Throughout the entire book, we don't have God speaking. There's never any of those moments that are common in the Old Testament where it says, thus saith the Lord on behalf of what God's saying. We have no voice for God in the book of Lamentations. God is silent. But just because God is silent, it does not mean that God is absent. And that seems to be what the people of God lamenting still seem to understand. This is a gesture towards the possibility of hope that when God makes a covenant, he remains faithful to that covenant. He may be silent, but he is not absent. So the hope of lamentations arises from a reliance upon God's mercy. There is nothing these people can do but wait on God's mercy. And they're striving 
with little sparks here and there throughout the book to relay their belief that certainly his mercy will come, dot, 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 eventually. And so as we continue to move through Lamentations 5, we come across now this long running complaint from the people of God. Verses two through 18 have four themes of complaint that arise from these people. We witness the crumbling of the family structure. We witness their daily struggle to survive, just simply making it day by day. We're witness to their physical and psychological suffering that they endure. And then we bear witness to the sexual and physical violence that they suffer as well. And essentially, for these people, this community, every aspect of life has been destroyed. Thus the prolonged complaint of the community of people. It had to be long. It had to be full. Because all of this points to the level of desperation experienced by God's people. And this brings forth the depth of suffering that's present throughout the story of Lamentations. It's like the poet ends this whole thing with this real long reminder of how terrible it all actually was. Don't forget what we've been through, God. So what does this teach us? We often don't pray in recognition of the deepest suffering in our own lives or the lives of others. Right, again, like I said, we often box that up and move it aside. We don't speak to God from that place, whether it's our own suffering or the suffering of someone else. Instead, our prayers can tend to border on a type of selfish idolatry in which we expect our our magic genie Jesus to dispense vending machine type of results, right? We're just like, genie Jesus, come and just fix this thing now and give us this. And you like reach in and you just take it out. You're like, good. And then you eat it and carry on. To speak from the depth of your suffering is something completely different. That's a different level of intimacy with God. That is what the covenant relationship with God looks like. Both parties committed to each other. You don't have to put those boxes of suffering and pain, sorrow and grief to the side. You can pray from them. And so verses two through 18 remind us that there is suffering in our community. And they remind us that suffering is worth hearing. And it just so happens that they seem to also believe that lament is often the appropriate response for that situation. That's how you bring it forth. It's the vehicle with which we bring our suffering voice to God. And then we turn a corner in Lamentations 5.19. And the tone of the community seems to change as they proclaim their trust. And it's almost like you can feel them trying to convince themselves to continue trusting God in the midst of utter destruction and desolation. And they cry out, they say, but Lord, you remain the same forever. Which just as a sentence in and of itself set to the side sounds like a pretty good prayer. But Lord, you remain the same forever. Amen. It means something completely different when everything around you is destroyed, when you have nothing left, when you are experiencing great agony and suffering and pain. 
What verse 19 does is it moves toward a hopeful note for God's people. And it reveals that their trust is not based solely on their circumstances. And their trust is that God can restore Jerusalem even without a house of worship for himself. And here's why that's important, right? Because the the city of Jerusalem, the holy city of Jerusalem was where the temple was located. And the temple was where the presence of God was manifested. So when the temple is wiped out, the people go, well, where will our God reside? Has he left us and rejected us never to return? And this is their belief that while they maybe can't understand how that's going to happen, that that they have some hope and assurance that the God they worship is not limited by human boundaries, that he exists in some way in which they maybe cannot yet explain. Lamentations as a book longs for the restoration of the city of Jerusalem, But Lamentations 5 reminds the community that this restoration is in the hands of God. And they're saying God will indeed make his dwelling among them. However, we have the benefit of looking back through the lens of Jesus at this story. And we know that in fact, God will make his dwelling among his people. But that dwelling is not ultimately tied to a building, but rather to the presence of God in Jesus. That's now where the presence of God resides in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, who then grants us the gift of the Holy Spirit who fills all who believe. And so the presence of God does not leave us. This space that we are in right now where these walls are constructed and we're all together, that is not what contains the presence of God. The presence of God showed up when every single one of us who carries the presence of God in us showed up in this building. And that's again why we need each other. And we look down the rows and we're reminded that God is present because we see it in the face of those stamped with the image of God filled with his spirit. The book of Lamentations is an unfinished story with no clear cut resolution. There is no quick and easy solution that is offered, which is like the ultimate understatement if you've read through the whole book now. Hope is deferred, it's set apart, it's away. And while hope is deferred, it also is not absent. Right, the closing of the book of poetry on this minor note, right, the, the question that they ask at the end is like, but have you left us? Have you rejected us? And then the whole thing ends. It leaves open the possibility of resolution coming later in some other point in history, and we know it does. But I'll tell you what, for those people in Jerusalem in 586 BC, it was delayed beyond what they wanted to see. The hope was deferred, but it was not absent. And I think they grab that and it culminates in the cry in Lamentations 5.21, where it just seems to confirm that they know this somewhere deep in their bones when they say, restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys we once had. Restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. What a cry, what a prayer, right? The good news is not simply that Jerusalem, a place, will be restored, but that God will restore and renew a relationship with his people. That's what he longs to have. And eventually, 
Eventually, new hope arises from Jerusalem in the person of Jesus, which is what I love about this intersection of Lamentations 5 ending on Palm Sunday as Jesus walks in to the city of Jerusalem, weeping over their future because again, God's people turn their back on him And he knows that to be true. They choose the ways of the world instead of the ways of peace of the Savior. And so Jesus goes into Jerusalem and then there, he's condemned and crucified. And it's by the wounds of this Jesus who weeps over the city, this Jesus who willingly suffers and dies, that we are healed. This is how God answers the prayer of the lamenting poet. This is how the Lord restores us and brings us back to him again. Through the willful suffering love of Jesus. By his wounds, we are healed. A friend of ours, Jimmy Tallarico, He does artwork based off of the wounds that people have suffered and experienced in their lives. He has some of his art set up in the lobby out there and you can look at it when we're finished here. But we also did a video with him explaining his art and how he captures this journey that we're on. It runs very parallel to the art of lament that we've been learning and how important it is to set before us our pain and our suffering, our wounds and our need for healing and how that process plays out. So let's watch this video of Jimmy and his art. Art is a conversation. I've said viewers shouldn't ask, do I like this? They should ask, what is the artist trying to say? My art is about our woundedness. It's almost like the dirty little secret. Everyone has been wounded, but pride and fear keep us from opening up. We avoid intimacy and vulnerability in sharing our wounds because if it's not met with unconditional love, it can cause more pain. I'd like my art to start the conversation that gets us to acknowledge our wounds and to know that we have a safe place in sharing them. The materials I use are important to the story. Fire is significant because it's both destructive and purifying. Ash is created through burning newspapers or discarded boxes. I use newspapers because they are physical representations of what someone has deemed important. The boxes are considered worthless, but I can repurpose them in a way that gives them value and beauty. The wax I use is from thrift store candles because they were typically purchased for a significant occasion, a birthday, wedding, or romantic evening. They have memory. Later, they were considered worthless and thrown out. I like to think I am bringing their value back by preserving them in a work of art. So I'm starting a conversation. I'm saying, here is this wound. Let's acknowledge that it exists. Let's hold ours in front of us and examine it. Let's talk about it together and with God, because there are two very important things to know about our wounds. First, we receive them in an area of significance to us. They target our identity. In some ways, they are doorways to our destinies. And second, when we call attention to them, though it may be painful, they start to lose their power over us. As our wounds heal, our identities gain strength. And along this journey, we find new freedom. 
We know that we won't end our time on this planet free of wounds. The art of lament has taught us to place these wounds, our our suffering, our grief, our sorrow in front of us, to sit with it and remember that while God might be silent or it sure feels like God is silent, that he's not absent. And perhaps his silence is so pronounced at times of pain and suffering because he just deeply longs to listen to the lament of those who suffer. He longs to make space for the voice of the suffering. So we finish this sermon and this series. I wanna just let God have the last word in our lives. So we're gonna take some time to just sit in the stillness with God, inviting him to speak to us. Maybe you'll pray, maybe you'll listen, maybe you'll lament, whatever it is the spirit is leading you to do. And then I'll close us in prayer and I'll lead us into communion from there. So go ahead and take that time with the Lord. God, as we are still here before you, to hear our prayer, hear our cries, hear our praise, hear our lament. God, I thank you that you are a God who longs to hear from us. That you long to give space for the voices of those who suffer. Not just here in this room, but the suffering all over the world. You compassionately long to hear and be present in those places. God, I pray that we as people of God would continue to boldly pray and worship from our suffering. I pray that we would not fall into the trap of boxing it up and putting it off to the side. I pray that we would be free from the guilt of wailing and crying out. I pray that we would take our cues from the poet of Lamentations and know that in our covenant relationship with you, you can handle whatever it is we need to say. So release us, God, from anything that we may have held on to. Forgive us for withholding. God, thank you for remaining faithful to your people. And God, I pray too that we would hold tightly to the truth that you are a God who is with us. Your son, Jesus, walked this earth. We called him Emmanuel, God with us. And as we followed Jesus through the season of Lent, we followed Jesus in his own suffering, his own weeping. And now we follow him into his death. And I pray that we would pause for a moment And we would see your son, Jesus, on the cross, the loving, gracious sacrifice that makes a way for us to know you. And God, then your son, Jesus, gives us the gift of the spirit. So we know again 
as the Holy Spirit resides in us, you are with us always. And this same spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness and to the cross did not let Jesus stay dead, but lifted him from the dead, resurrected him to new life. And that's the same spirit that resurrects us to new life as well. God, may we live with that power inside of us, knowing that you have set us forth on this path to follow you and be like you and be your people in this world. We can do that because you are with us. And so God, as we go from this building today, would we be more committed to you than when we entered? And would we go and be the people you long for us to be following you wherever it might lead in our valley, in our world, in our homes, in our workplaces? Wherever it is our feet touch the ground, may we be present to what it is you're doing in that space, Jesus. And to you be all of the glory. We love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.